Turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 18. We're going to finish the chapter today. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 28. Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 28. You'll notice the sermon title. I'm getting very creative with my titles. Uh, today's title is God Doing What God Does, So Paul Can Do What Paul Does, Part 3. I know you didn't see that coming, did you? This whole chapter is about God meeting Paul's needs and meeting the needs of the church so that the ministry of Paul, which is getting the gospel out to the Gentile world, can be fulfilled and can be successful. So let's do a little review in your notes about the last two sermons from chapter 18. And so first off, it says, When Paul was discouraged, lonely, frustrated, fearful, and sick, and that's exactly how he arrived in Corinth, all these things are described by Paul about himself and other books. Speaking of his time in Corinth, that's how he arrived. And what did God do? Well, number one, God gave Paul friends he could relate to. And, and, and we, we kind of overlook that. We, we think that's not a big deal. But think about the friends in your life that come alongside you when you have a need, when you're depressed or lonely, and how important they are. So Aquila and Priscilla were very important in, in Paul's life, and, and God gave them to him as friends. And he also built an effective team to work with. Remember, Silas and Timothy, they came back and joined Paul again in Corinth. So, so God gave them friends. Number two, God gave the entire group moral support and financial backing from other Christians, from their ministry, from an offering that came in from Philippi, from good reports about churches that were maybe not that healthy when they left. Number three, God gave them success, and success is always encouraging. So he gave them success in their current ministry that encouraged continued efforts. If you're seeing good things happen, it kind of uh, gives you energy to continue on hoping for more good things to happen, and, and that, that was being seen, and that did happen. And then number four, God gave Paul clear instructions, a promise of protection, and time. He gave them basically the resources and the opportunity that he needed to have a successful ministry in Corinth. That was two sermons ago. Last week, when Paul was attacked by, by the combined efforts of the Jewish community, what did God do? Number one, God put a woman in charge over Corinth who had no patience for frivolous legal action. And how interesting is it that God used a, a woman who was not religious that we know of, certainly was not sympathetic to the Jewish faith or the Christian faith. God used someone who would not have chosen to be used, who probably would have been against being used, and if he knew he was being used, would have fought it. God used this Roman person to accomplish his will. And, and that's a great comfort to me, because even though there may be people standing against God, or people that stand and can care less about God, God can even use them to accomplish His will. And sometimes we see that happen. Where someone unintentionally does something that furthers the kingdom of God. And we see that right here. What else did God do? Well, number two, God put legal precedent on the side of Paul and Christianity as a protection against further Jewish attacks. He, he this... Um, Leader, the proconsul, gave his ruling, and that created a precedent. 
And that precedent then protected Paul, at least for the 18 months he was in Corinth, maybe beyond if, if his authority was in other cities as well. This reminds me of recent decisions that have been made in our own country, where all of a sudden God has allowed a legal protection in an area that has been uh, just swimming with evil. And, and unborn life is being protected more now. Now people are arguing about it, and people are fighting about it, and abortion is not illegal, but the opportunity for abortion is, has been decreased significantly. And simply that will save lives, and that's a great win, and that's something that I believe God did. I believe that God worked through people that may not have wanted to be used by God, worked through circumstances that people wouldn't have intended to, to do God's work, and, and yet a ruling came down which sets a precedent which gives us at least some time to work in this area and save more lives. So this is even happening today. Number three, what did God do for Paul? God uh, gave further moral support, encouragement, and success in the whole episode that resulted in Sosthenes, the new synagogue leader, becoming a believer. It, it didn't, nothing about that situation looked good. Nothing about it looked good for Sosthenes, yet he became a believer and became a partner in ministry with Paul. So, so God did a lot of things to strengthen Paul, to encourage Paul, to provide for Paul. And of course the application was that God has not stopped doing that since Paul has, has died, passed away. He continues to do that today. If we pay attention, we'll see God providing in our life and God helping us discover things in our life and God making provisions of protection in our life that we didn't see coming and God doing a lot of things to allow us to do the ministry that he's called us to do. Now, today's context, this last section, you need to know a couple things. Number one, the burden to evangelize, teach, and preach is getting too large for Paul, Timothy, and Silas. These are the professionals. But it's getting too big for them. There's too many cities. There's too many churches. There's too many obstacles. There's too much geography. And, and so now there's going to be a problem. We can see the problem developing. We, we can see it on the horizon. The demand for Paul and, and Timothy and Silas, but in particular Paul, the demand for his help is going to create a crisis because he won't be able to help them all. So what's God going to do there? What's he going to do? Number two, many of the churches were growing through evangelism, but now needed Bible-based discipleship to move from survival, from survival mode to thrival mode. That's T-H-R-I-V-A-L. Arrival. It's a new word, made up this week, which will be sweeping the nation. All right? Thrival mode. They, they were in survival mode, but they had to sneak Paul out of town once, and they had to escort him out of town once. And I'm sure that the church in Philippi and the church in Thessalonica, I'm sure that Paul often wondered, are they going to make it? Are they going to survive? Are they going to reach more people? When, when I go back to visit, are they even still going to be there? And, and all these cities and all these places he visited, that was, that was how they left them. But they, they did survive, and, and they grew. We got a good report, one gave an offering. And, and now they have to transition from survival to thrival. And that reminded me of when I arrived at Heritage Bible Church. I, I've told the story of how I got here a couple of times, but... 
And I remember, this is the conversation I had. Dennis Blitz called me on the phone, and as best I can quote him, he said, Hi, my name's Dennis Blix. I'm calling from Heritage Bible Church. We're a little bitty church in a, in a small town. We don't have a lot of money, and there's not very many people left. Would you like to come candidate to be our pastor? That's not inviting, in case you're wondering. And, and, and I said, well, let me come talk to you. And I told Teresa, we're going to go try to encourage them, because these people are never going to find a pastor like this. And then a month later, here I was, October 1st, 2014, preaching my first sermon, and I want to tell you whether, whether we knew it or not, we were in survival mode. The goal of the church, the goal of the leadership at that time was not to close our doors and to have some future. We were, we were just trying to maintain, maybe grow a little bit, stabilize, put some infrastructure in, Become an organization. It was, it was, that's, it's like one year past? Yes. We made it a year. Two years past? Yes, we made it two years. Most of you don't know that we had kind of a little deal between me and the deacons. After five years, if we were still struggling and barely able to pay the bills, I gave them permission to fire me. Because I said, if, if that's where we're at in five years, you should find another pastor. But we made it to five years, and, and we made it beyond that. We're finishing eight years together in October. We have moved from survival, and we transitioned, and we need to land in thrival. We're, we're not quite at thrival yet. We're pushing against the wall. We're moving in that direction. But thriving would be that the Sunday school program has all the room it needs, all the teachers it needs, all the resources it needs. Same for Iwana, same for youth group. Adult classes, maybe more than one adult Sunday school class. Small groups meeting that, that we rally together for projects that anytime someone's sick, there's meals provided. Anytime there's a need, the need is met. Now, I want to tell you that, that is, those things are happening. And they're happening more regularly. Um, we, are, we are pushing against thrival, and we need to get there. We need to get there, because God has never called an individual or a church to reach a plateau and, and happily walk around on flat ground. He's never called us to do that. He says, grow, and then when you grow some, I want you to grow some more. And then when you grow some more, I want you to grow some more. And, and that doesn't mean that I get taller or bigger. It means I become more spiritual. I understand God more. I understand Scripture more. I'm able to disciple better. I'm able to serve better. That's personal growth. And church growth doesn't mean we'll have more people, although that will be a byproduct. It means that we are able to serve more, that we understand God more. That as a group, we seek God's will and pursue it. We don't wait for somebody else to do it. We get involved to make it happen. So thriving mode is, is much more like that. Now, we're not looking at, at the end of the year, will we be okay? We're looking at, what does God have for us this year to accomplish? Where does God want to take us? It causes questions like, this great facility that we love is... Heritage Bible Church always going to be here. 
Can we possibly move into another building that we build? Uh, even a new location. Those kinds of things make me cringe. That's a lot of work. I'm very comfortable in this building. It's a cool building. Among church buildings, this is a nice one. It's paid for. There's lots of reasons, humanly speaking, that we stay right here. But a thriving church probably will have to make some changes. So we got to figure out what those changes are. we got to look to the future. Heritage Bible Church is no longer in survival mode. We're not yet at thriving mode, but we're moving in that direction. And, and this is the thing we have to realize and embrace as a church, is that when we reach whatever we think the next level of thriving is, you know what God's going to say? Good job. I've got more for you. And, and then we're going to say, oh, man, what's next? And, and we'll enter with fear and trepidation to the next phase, and as long as God's moving, we're going to move with them. That's, that's what thriving is. And, and these churches, they, they needed to get from survival to thriving. They needed people to help them. They, 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 wouldn't, they weren't just going to get by on the memory of last time Paul was here. So that's where we're at. Let's read the passage now. Acts chapter 18, verse 18 through 28. It says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So they went with him. Before he sailed, he, he had his hair cut off at whatever that place is because of the vow he had taken. Now I'm going to stop and tell you right now, nobody knows what the vow was. Nobody knows why he cut his hair off. Nobody knows what he did with it. There's a lot of speculation out there, but for whatever reason, Luke included this. Maybe... Maybe just so the readers would know why Paul looked funny with a haircut now. We have no idea. So, it was not explained, so we'll keep going. Verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. So he took them from Corinth to Ephesus. The rest of the verse says he himself went into the synagogue and, and reasoned with the Jews. Uh, context being, he didn't do that very long. He maybe went a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, very short period of time, he went to the synagogue, because that's what Paul does. He reasoned with the Jews, maybe some got saved, maybe some didn't, we are not really told. But he left Priscilla and Aquila there. He didn't leave them because he couldn't afford to take them. He left them to be in charge. And he left them to be in charge. So verse 20, when they asked him to spend more time with them, that being the Jews from the synagogue, he declined. This is the first time Paul has ever declined an invitation to stay somewhere and preach. He declined. This is kind of a new thing for Paul. He declined. Verse 21. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. Now, I want to take a minute and I want to talk about what he said. I will come back if it is God's will. This should always be our attitude. This should always be our attitude. Uh, I'm going to do this if it's God's will. I, I'm going to I'm going to start this small group. I'm going to teach this class. I'm going to get involved in this ministry. I'm going to speak to my neighbors if it's God's will. And and how could speaking to your neighbors not be God's will? Maybe the timing's not right. Maybe the circumstances haven't been created yet. Maybe you barging in would be a bad thing. 
where in a week or two, God's going to bring them to your door and you have a chance to talk to them? When would, when would anything be good or bad? Well, God knows. God's sovereign. And so we seek God's will. Um, we're intentionally, as leaders of the church, not making any decisions about the future right now. Because we have to take time to pray about the future of the church. What does God want us to do? Where is he leading us? We're asking him to show us. And we have confidence that he will show us at the right time. Uh, our missionaries heading to Saudi Arabia. This has probably become their life verse. I will come back if it is God's will. They, they know the confidence it's God's will for them to wind up in Saudi Arabia, but the pathway has changed four or five times. And, and God closes one door and he opens another door. And they keep taking steps towards Saudi Arabia, but it's not the direct route they were hoping for. And God has been in it the whole time. There's no doubt that God's not leading, but they'll have to go as God permits according to God's will. So Paul says, I will come back if it's God's will. Verse 22. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. All of a sudden, we're hearing names of places we know where they are, and we know why he's there. He went to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? That's where Peter is. That's where James is. Peter is the head of apostle. James is the head of the church in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church is the first church. It's the center of Christianity in the day, and Paul went to report to them. This is where I've been. This is what I've done. This is what's happened. I want you to have all the details. Then he went to Antioch. Antioch was the church that he was a pastor in. Antioch was the church that sent him on his journey. So we have the completion of the second missionary journey, and, and Paul leaves them in Ephesus. He travels to Jerusalem, he reports, he greets the church, and then he goes to Antioch, and he does the same thing there. Verse 23, after spending some time in Antioch back home, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. What did he do? We don't, know how, we don't know how much space is between 22 and 23. We don't know if it's weeks, months, years. We don't know how much space is there. But he, he heads out on his third missionary journey. And he goes to the same places he went before to strengthen them and teach them and discipleship them. In verse 24, meanwhile. Meanwhile uh, means uh, during that time, during what time? During the gap between verse 22 and 23. Okay? While he's in Antioch, while he's in Antioch, verse 24, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. First time we've met this guy. Apollos came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, or a learned man, which means he was educated. That's the term would mean highly educated. Not just a smart fellow, but a highly educated fellow. He has the degrees to go with his name. And he has a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. In English, that, that sounds like he, he knows his Bible really well. Well, this is, he knows his Bible really, really well. He's, he's very affluent, very knowledgeable. His, his education is in theology and is in Scripture. Verse 25, he had been instructed in the word of the Lord, so he knew about Jesus, 
and he spoke with great fervor, okay, excitement, uh, he was a good speaker, and taught about Jesus accurately. So he's an out-of-towner who's heard about Jesus, he's a very good speaker, knows the Bible really well, which means the Old Testament at that time, and he speaks very well and, and with great fervor, and he's talking about Jesus accurately, but he knew only the baptism of John. So this is a man who was proficient in Judaism, heard about Jesus, studied the scriptures, discovered that Jesus was a Messiah, set out to teach that Jesus was a Messiah, but wasn't fully discipled himself. Didn't even know about the baptism. Only heard of the baptism of John. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Sounds like Paul. In the synagogue, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, the ones who had been left there to be in charge, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So this guy shows up, he knows who Jesus is, he's preaching that Jesus is a Messiah, but he's not quite fully there. He doesn't have the big picture. So Priscilla and Aquila come and say, Hey, we have got some news for you. We know the rest of the story. We can catch you up to everything that's been going on. They went, he went to their home. He, he got the explanation. They discipled him. All right? Verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Acacia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. They sent a letter. Hey, this is Apollos. He's been with us for a while. He's, he's on board. He understands. He's a great preacher. You can trust him. Put him to work. Wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he, had a, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. So he was an asset to the believers. For he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So we have, that's the end of the chapter. That's where we're going to stop today. Apollos is now on the scene. He hasn't even met Paul, but he's met two of Paul's partners in ministry. And his partners in ministry catch him up to what's happening. And then he moves on to the next city, and he begins to disciple there and to evangelize. So let's look at our notes again, the backside. So what do we see God doing in this passage to deal with the issues we mentioned earlier. Well, number one, God gave an expansion of leadership serving the growing churches. They needed more leaders. God provided more leaders. Only Priscilla and Aquila are left in Ephesus. That's in verse 19. He left them there. First Corinthians 16, 19, we won't read it, but it tells us that the church in Ephesus met in the home of Priscilla and Aquila. So they, they got so involved that the church met in their home and probably did so for about five years. So they were not only the leaders, they were the host of the, of the church. And in verse 20, Paul was asked to stay at Ephesus and he declined. Why would he decline? Would Paul leave a group of hungry believers unfed? I don't think so. Would he leave them with someone else to feed them properly? Yes. Paul was able to leave and go on with his journey because he had Priscilla and Aquila who he could leave there 
to lead the church. So God gave them the leadership they needed. Number two, very, very close, but I want to point out a, a little difference. God brought highly qualified personnel into strategic places of ministry. And I probably should have had you fill in the word strategic instead of personnel because that's what I want to emphasize. The highly qualified personnel, the expansion of leadership, God put them where he needed them to be. Um, we we kind of see this in the, in the text, and your notes, Priscilla and Aquila did not need Paul. It wasn't Priscilla and Aquila that said, hey, Paul, can you stay? It was the Jews, the new believers. And, and Paul said, no, I'm not staying. I'll leave with Priscilla and Aquila. So Priscilla and Aquila didn't need Paul. And later when Apollos was there, and he said, hey, I'm going to go to this other city. They didn't try to stop him. They didn't say, oh, we need you here. So they didn't need Paul, and they didn't need Apollos. God put them in that city. And they Paul, where Apollos felt like they needed to stay. See, Apollos, and, and I want to talk about his highly qualified st- status. It says he was learned, which means he was educated. He spoke with fervor. He was a good speaker. He taught about Jesus accurately. He had sound teaching and sound doctrine. And he did this before he was fully saved. And I, I question that phrase, fully saved. I, I, I would change that if I hadn't already printed all the notes. I think he wasn't fully discipled. I really was saved. After thinking more and looking more and reading some stuff, he was saved. He wasn't fully discipled, so you can change that in your notes. And after he went to Acacia, he was a great help and proved from the scriptures that Jesus was a Messiah. By all accounts outside of scripture, of any description of Apollos, compared to any description of Paul, Apollos, by human standards, showed them the face of Christianity. He, he was the polished speaker. Um, he was not Paul. Paul was kind of a short, ugly guy. Uh, he was sick, and he didn't fit the bill. He was he was the Ross Perot in the election, if you're old enough to remember Ross Perot. This didn't quite look very presidential. But Apollos fit the bill. And God put Apollos where he needed to be discipled with Priscilla and Aquila. Then he moved into Acacia. And, and Apollos has a strong ministry there. We read about that later in the book of Acts. So God provided an expansion of leadership. He brought the people into the picture that they needed. And he put them where they would be effective. And including Paul, send him back, and then he's going to make his rounds again. Number three, God provided cooperation and support among the churches and believers from different cities. And I want to remind you that the church in Philippi sent an offering so that Paul could minister full-time. Now, I don't think the offering was big enough that he's been traveling and eating and just working his way through that pile of money this whole time, but it was enough to get them started to create a nest egg so what they were bringing in would, would replace what they spent. So it allowed them to have the freedom to be a full-time minister. And that was from Philippi. That was one church in one city supporting the ministry of Paul in a, in a variety of cities. And in our passage, when Apollos went to Acacia, the church in Ephesus sent a letter. This is a new thing. We haven't heard about this yet. They sent a letter of recommendation. 
the way the Paulus is on his way to you, he is the one handing you this letter, please know that we send him with full approval. He will be liable to you. Welcome him in. Put him to work. He's the real deal. So Apollos didn't have to spend a lot of time winning them over, proving himself, all this kind of stuff. The letter did that for him. So he had cooperation and support among the churches. Now these are things that we need today as a church, as the church. We need leadership. They need to be placed where God wants them to be, doing the ministry God has called them to do. And we need cooperation and support among the churches. To be perfectly honest, the fundraiser at the fair is far more important to the River of Life Church than it is to us. To them, it is a full-on fundraiser. And it's, it's filling a need that they have. For us, not so much. And when they called to say, will you do this? My first instinct was, no, that sounds like a lot of work. Quickly, though, probably the Holy Spirit, what came out of my mouth was, yeah, we'd be glad to help you out. We'd be glad to partner with you. And, and we created an opportunity for them to continue doing something they have done for years. They have single-handedly provided the food booth at the fair for over a decade. And, and now when they are not able to single-handedly do it, they called on us and said, will you help? And, and we're going to do it. We're going to help because that's a way for us to cooperate, to bless them. DBS, we do together. Um, other things we do together. That's part of what we need to do. This is one of the ways God meets our needs in, in our life. So we, we just see... God doing here in chapter 18, the same thing God does now in 2022, we should not be surprised. We should not go, wow, I can't believe God did that. We should be going, wow, isn't that just exactly what God does? Isn't this cool that God is still doing what God does to allow his people to do the ministry he gave them? That should be our attitude. Here's some application. Number one, this is actually the application from a couple weeks ago. God will provide for us what we need, when and where we need it, to accomplish His work and carry out His will here on earth. He'll provide what we need. He'll provide space, funding, workers, ideas, inspiration. He'll provide whatever we need. He'll provide it when and where we need it. Whether it's now, in a week, in a month, in a year, He'll continue to provide as long as we are following his lead and seeking his will. And then he'll provide the success. I, I don't think we should ever take credit for any success that we have. Um, moving from survival when I got here to better than that now, that's not me. God could have done that with any number of people. God had a plan for Heritage Bible Church, and he worked his plan I just happen to be blessed enough to be a part of it. And so do you. We are in this together. Okay? Number two, God is always at work. That was last week. God is always at work, whether it's obvious to us or not. You know what the norm is? The norm is it's not obvious. It's not obvious. A lot of times we're just sitting there, living life as God has laid it out before us, 
not knowing what his plan is. God really likes to say, do this, and when you do this, I'll show you that. And when you do that, I'll show you what's next. I have never had God lay out an entire plan to me and said, here you go, go for it. It's one step at a time, every time. And it requires obedience and it requires faith. Number three, this is from today. God always has and always will do his most important work through people. Through people. And before we read the list, I, I, I want to show you your connection. Everyone in the room is a people. We together are a people. The greater church in southwest Washington is a people. The, the body of believers that make up the body of Christ in the entire world is a people. We are individual people. We are a group of people as a church. We are families are made up of people. Our family is a group of people. And God always uses people. And he doesn't always use the people you think. For example, he used exiles like Priscilla and Aquila. They were kicked out of Rome for being Christians. They had to leave their home and their business, probably all of their possessions. And they had to leave town, and they went to Corinth, and they went to Ephesus before they were allowed to go back to Rome. He uses exiles. He uses young people like Timothy. You know, years from now, Timothy is the pastor in Ephesus, and Paul still writes to him and says, Don't let him look down on you because you're young. So he's even younger now. He's using Timothy, a young person. He uses support people like Lydia, who let them use her house and probably help orchestrate the offering. He used Barnabas, the encourager, and Silas, who stepped in to take Barnabas' word, and he and Paul split ways. Uh, someone who was willing to be arrested with Paul. He used big names, like Paul and Apollos. And he used local believers like the members of the churches in Jerusalem, Antioch, Lystra, Derbe, Phrygia, Galatia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, and Acacia. Do you see what I see? That's a really long list of churches. Not that long ago, there were zero churches. When, when Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved, there was a church, one church, that met in Jerusalem. Over the course of the next 20, 30, 40 years, it's been a few, but not that many. Paul's been on two missionary journeys. He's heading out on his third one. Silas has been involved. Timothy, uh, uh, all these people have been involved. And now, all of a sudden, there's churches in Jerusalem, Antioch, Lystra, Derby, Fort Pergia, Galatia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, and Acacia. I put that list together, and I'm like, man, did we really stop at all these places? Did we really talk about every one of these cities? Were there really people saved in every stop along the way? And are there really churches being developed in these places? Are these places that Paul is going back to visit, is he really finding groups of believers who are serving him, who are moving out of survival mode? Yes. That's the, that's the greater impact of Acts. You know, we looked at every one of these stories individually, but we can't miss the big picture. Look what God is doing for his church. 
It's growing. It's expanding. And now he's providing leadership. God always does what is necessary for his people to do his will. Our job is to seek his will. And so much of his will is spelled out in pretty obvious texts in our scripture. And then once in a while, it even says, it is God's will that. And then the following phase is what God's will is. And then it's a little more subtle in other places, but it's still pretty obvious. This is what we work on. This is the things we, we, we strive for. Our church is built on doing God's will. So, for Paul, God did what needed to be done. For Heritage Bible Church, God will do what needs to be done. For your family, God is doing and will do what needs to be done. For my family, God is doing and will do what needs to be done. For your neighborhood, God is doing through you, people, what needs to be done. God is always at work. He's always providing what's necessary for his work. And he always works through people, which means, in case you haven't caught on, he works through you. You and you and you and you and you and you, and I pointed every one of you. He works through you. It's not the professionals that get the good stuff done. It's you guys. I talk to you guys and a couple of other people because I'm also a people. But God works through you, collectively and individually. That should encourage you. You're, you're not on the sidelines. There is no bench warmer in this game. We're on the field. We're all working. We're all doing our part. And the exciting thing is that God is doing what God's going to do. And we get to watch it happen around us. That's the beauty of this passage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for these encouraging words. I pray for the challenge to be grasped that I am one of the people you're going to use and are using right now. And everyone else sitting in this room and everyone who will listen online or watch on YouTube, every one of us is one of the yous and one of the people that you're going to use. May we be open to that. May we be excited about that. May that be the thing that gets us up in the morning and gets us moving because we know you have appointments that you've made for us. And may we follow through and, and actually do what you've called us to do. And may we be just thrilled to death as we watch you provide and watch you accomplish things. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen.